You're listening to the Mission Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that this sermon would be used by God in your life, not as a replacement, but alongside belonging to a local church. Thanks for listening. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. We'll be reading from John 4, 21 through 24. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I will invite up Michael Tooley. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for these people, this church, this community that has gathered here this Sunday. I thank you so much for all of the blessings that you have brought us and all of the growth and joy that we have seen over the last few years to be able to shape us into Mission Church. Dear Lord, it's through you that we have been able to come this far to see this many people gather on a Sunday and celebrate you and get to hear your word. Dear Lord, if you will help slow our minds, calm our hearts, and open our ears to be able to hear what you have prepared for us this morning through Michael. Dear Lord, if you'll give Michael the wisdom as he's working through your word to be able to tell us what we need to hear and for us to be able to hear it. Dear Lord, I thank you just for everything that you have given us and pray that you continue to guide us as we start this new journey. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. If you haven't heard me talk about our journey before, uh, you know, we've only lived here, I've got to do math now, uh, three years on the, on the third year, some, somewhere in there. Um, if you are also new to North Carolina, maybe you haven't had a chance to get out to the gorge. And if that's the case, you need to know Cody. Um, he's here. I won't like point him out or make him stand up, but you need to know Cody. This guy knows the gorge, uh, and he'll take you places you've never been, and he comes just close enough to making you feel like you're lost, um, but you can still trust him. We went, and we were driving to one of his favorite spots. Well, we, we had to walk, too, but uh, we're driving along this, you know, beaten path, um, and uh, no self-service, so you're kind of like, you know, do people know where I'm at? Anyway, um, so we, we get out there and pull off this unassuming opening in the woods, if you could call it that, and we start walking, and we get to this opening, and there's five paths. It's like a movie, you know, like on Lord of the Rings when they're in the Mines of Moria. It's which way do we go? And we go down one, and we backtrack at least once, and so I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, do we know where we're going? And uh, then, but then we... We get on the right path, and we're going through, and we just come to the, the, the glory of Table Rock Mountain, just up close, beautiful, totally worth it, totally worth the anxiety. Um, 
And I remember sitting up there in this spot and just, you know, talking about nature and taking photos and, and we couldn't help but sit down and spend some time in prayer. And I remember Cody saying to me, I can't help but feel close to God up here. And I felt the same way. It was worship. And the same thing happened when Billy, I, I lost my job in uh, March, and so I had some, some free time. And Billy's like, hey, you've been talking about getting up on Hawksbill. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in perfect shape for that. Let's do it. And uh, same thing. We could not help but turn our hearts to God and, and pray and thank him for the beauty. So we've been going through our core values. We, you know, we're not really relaunching uh, the church necessarily, but as we've come into this new name and this transition with Southside and everything like that, we wanted to take this opportunity to at least ask God to renew our zeal and kind of revisit our mission, our vision, and our values. And our mission is straightforward. It is to live on mission for Christ's kingdom. That's our identity, our foundation. It's, it's our calling. It's what God has put us here for. And then our vision what we aspire towards in Christ and through Christ is to see Morganton, Burke County, and beyond transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in our passage today in John chapter four, the, the main point of this maybe familiar story is that God is seeking and will find his true worshipers. So if we've been walking through our core values, the core values of the church are intentional culture-shaping distinctives and I will show the graphic now that may or may not look like a swimming pool. Um, it's, it's got waves. But anyway, um, so our mission is our identity. Our vision is what we aspire towards through Christ. And then the, the squiggly line in the middle, not waves, is our strategy. And our core values provide the metric or the framework that we operate in. It's, it's so that our how we do what we do is gonna be measured against our core values and our core values will always be aligned to the word of God. And so today, as we walk through this passage in John, we're gonna look at the core value of worship. And this seems maybe perhaps like an overly obvious core value to have for a church. Like, well, yeah, they should worship, right? So, so you might be asking, how is this a culture-shaping distinctive? Well, because by and large, there's a prevalent thought amongst Cultural Christianity, which is very heightened, especially in the South, um, I grew up thinking this way for sure, that worship is a type of music or genre of music. And then so some of us may know in our heads that no, worship is an all of life activity. I still believe this exchange in John's gospel is going to open our eyes to see that just like worshiping is it's singing, but, but it's so much more than that. It's not only an all-of-life activity, it's so much more than we think. It's as consistent as the breath going in and out of our lungs. You see, Scripture defines worship in a couple ways that, a couple different ways that may surprise you. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, which I will not attempt to pronounce, is synonymous with bowing down. It's a very physical act. And so in Psalm 95, it says, sing, uh, sing to the Lord a new song, and then later on it says, it's, it, let us worship and bow down. It's kind of like if we said, let, let us lay down and bow down. This physical act of bringing oneself low to show honor and praise to God. And the New Testament is even more surprising. It's this word that means to serve or give service to. 
And the word study tool that I used this week to look at this, because I was just curious, says the state of a hired workman. Very odd. Uh, but, and there's so many implications of that we don't have time to unpack. But nonetheless, it's driving home this point that worship is a very physical, lived, breathed experience. And number two, when we worship, we are serving God. What could we offer him? Even our worship to him is really a gift to us. And it really shapes how we read verses like Romans chapter 12, verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's a Pulitzer Prize winning writer by, name, by the name of David Foster Wallace. Uh, he was a renowned atheist and didn't have a stellar reputation. I wanted to share his perspective this morning, though, because it, it's pretty eye-opening that God created us as beings for worship. And it's not just Christians that understand this. This is what David Foster Wallace says in one of his writings. He says, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing, and he gives a bunch of weird examples that I skipped over, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables. It's the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. We were created for worship. And so the question that I've been facing all week, the question that we all must ask moment by moment has been, who or what am I worshiping in this or that? And so as we look at this as, as our, one of our core values, this is how we've defined our value of worship. Every day, every moment, our lives echo God's glory, resonating with devotion and gratitude. And so as with each of our values, we've been looking at them from the vantage point of two spheres of the life of the church, gathered and scattered. Another way of saying it is, what does worship look like as a body of believers together? And then what does it look like in the everyday rhythms of life when we are on our own at work, when it's a Saturday and you get the house cold and you're cuddled under a blanket and you're watching a movie, lazy Saturday? Is there worship in that? We'll look at that a little bit later, but let's first look at worship gathered. Let's go, we're gonna kind of go backwards here, but verse 23 of our passage, Jesus says to the woman, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So to give some context, this woman comes to draw water and Jesus Jesus decisively shows up around this time and asks her for a drink. 
And then they have this exchange going back and forth where she's trying to avoid any sort of depth, and yet she's talking to the one who knows her better than she does. And this is a fairly well-known passage in Scripture, but in case you're not familiar with it, uh, there's some key things to note here. First of all, the, the scandal of Jesus talking to her at all. You know, she came during the day when it's uh, noontime, it's hot. Most of the women would go to the well in the morning when it was cooler. And so she's likely there to avoid talking to anyone because of her sinful lifestyle. Secondly, she's from Samaria, a people not looked on too fondly by the Jews. And so, and, and they didn't really like each other either. So there, there's all sorts of variables to this scenario that make it noteworthy, but perhaps the most significant thing is the intentionality of Christ. You see, Jesus could have stuck with the custom of the time, which was to avoid this route altogether. There was, they would take the long way. But verse four of this chapter says, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. But we know that not only could he have gone the long way and avoided it altogether, it would have been considered normal for him to do that by the culture standard. But the message of Christ matches the life of Christ. The Father is seeking his worshipers. He has sought us, Mission Church. And so we see worship as a core value, and it's interconnected with the other values. We value renewal, which at its fundamental level is something that happens to us from God. We value hospitality, which at its fundamental level begins and ends with the welcome that we've all received into the presence of God through our union with Christ. And so we value worship because at its fundamental level, it is a response to an almighty God that came first to look for us, not the other way around. In other words, when we experience the welcome of Jesus and the renewal of the Spirit's work in our life, it stirs our souls to worship. It is a response. And so our value of worship gathered, we've, we further defined it like this to give it a framework. Worshiping corporately through receiving the word, singing, baptism, communion, and the giving of offerings. And so we gather on Sunday, which is the day that Jesus rose from the dead, to hear the word proclaimed, to sing songs together, to give faithfully and, practices, and practice the ordinances. These things that we do are the ordinarily but ultimately significant means through which disciples are shaped, formed, and equipped to be faithfully sent out to make more disciples brought into the fold of God. And as it was said earlier in our series, the church gathered and the church scattered are deeply interconnected. Um, Andrew Wilson says it like this, our patterns of worship when we are scattered are shaped by our patterns of worship when we are gathered. Good liturgy is a gift that keeps on giving. And so it's with this understanding in mind that we seek to have a liturgy that shapes and forms us into the image of Jesus by pointing us to the good news of who he is, the one and only son whose life, death, and resurrection brought those of us who were near, those of us who were far off, he brought us near. Liturgy is just a nice sounding word that means order of worship. It's important for us, Mission Church, to understand this, that to see the intentionality of it. As Christ was intentional in his pursuit of us, we also wanna be intentional in our pursuit of him. And so this shapes all that we do in our service, but it also provides the framework for being sent out to live on mission for Christ's kingdom, making disciples who make disciples. 
So when you walk in each week, you're handed a bulletin that has our liturgy right on it. So you can follow along on the screen or you can follow along on there. We start with the call. We begin each week with an invitation to come and worship the holy God. We begin each service with a, a literal call to this gospel community, to the unique activity of worship. One of the resources that uh, we utilize, it's called the Worship Source Book. Pretty straightforward uh, resource. This is how they put it. Um, this is not up on the screen, but it's good. And so I wanted to share it. The primary activity of the worship service is for worshipers to participate, catch this, in the gift exchange of worship itself. By hearing God's word, by offering prayers and praise, and by receiving spiritual nourishment offered at the Lord's table, the call to worship establishes the unique purpose of the worship service and reinforces the vertical dimension of worship, an encounter between God and the gathered congregation. And so what we do every week is not just routine because we are forgetful, though that is helpful. It is intentional. We know that worship on Sunday should be an overflow of the week filled with worshiping God, but we are prone to wander. We need to be called. We need to be reminded for our purpose of existing, to enjoy God and glorify him forever, to worship the creator almighty who is worthy of all praise and worship. We move into the gospel next. We are then reminded of Christ's sacrifice and respond by confessing our sin and embracing his grace. We gather to set our gaze upward. And when we do that, we're, we're struck with the reality of our need for a savior. That we can walk through these doors, that we can be in the presence of God and enjoy the fellowship is only because of the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. So we gather, we confess our sin, confess our need, and collectively seek repentance together. And it just keeps getting better because we move next into the assurance. We then hear the assurance, God's response to our confession that he has forgiven us 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess, it is an act of worship. It's the, the first testimony that we believe that Christ really did die in our place, that his sacrifice was acceptable to God, that he did in fact rise from the grave, ascend to the Father, and that he intercedes on our behalf. And so your confession is an acknowledgement of your sin. Yes, it, it does require vulnerability with your brothers and sisters. And it, it makes sense that this would be difficult to do because sin is shameful. But as you acknowledge this, as you out loud speak your sin to your brothers and sisters, how much more is the acknowledgement? How much more is the proclamation that he took your shame? What good news? Jesus said in John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So to act on this belief is to confess. And it says here in 1 John, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
This is the assurance that every Christian has. This is the blueprint for becoming a disciple of Jesus. I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus died on my behalf and he rose from the grave conquering my sin and he ascended to the right hand of God to the Father to intercede on my behalf. Hallelujah, God be praised. What blessed assurance. The welcome in the word is next. We hear the welcome and continue in worship by listening to the Bible explained and proclaimed his word of life. In our message on renewal, we drove home the point that we value expositional messages. We walk through scripture. Our messages don't pop up because of some current event that we need to harp on. Um, there would be way too many, right? Uh, but rather we submit to the word. We submit to scripture as our guide. So maybe you're asking, how does this involve you? How is your hearing the word of God worship? Well, it's just like everything we've said so far that your primary participation as well as mine is receiving. But remember, it's, it's not a passive receiving. Remember, presenting your bodies as living sacrifices. And so let, let me get really practical. Are you awake? Are you listening? You see, your part in the worship and during the hearing of the word is to submit to the spirit of God and posture your body and your soul to receive what God would have to encourage you, to rebuke you, to ultimately sanctify you into the holy child of God that he has adopted through his son, Jesus. So come ready. That is how you show up to worship. We don't just serve coffee here because we love it and it's the nectar from heaven. We don't just serve it because hospitality is one of our values. We serve it because when we say in our welcome every week, all who are weary, we mean it. We see you and God sees you. And so when you enter in, dear brothers and sisters, after a long week, when you do the work of cultivating a listening, ready, and hopeful heart, that is worship. Praise God. And so we wake up, we allow God's word to challenge, not only to challenge, but to put to death in us the things that the world would give us and in its place, give us a new self in Christ. This is one of the ways that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We move next into the supper. We respond by rehearsing the gospel once more, celebrating the feast in repentance and faith. And this is a communal gathering where we respond not in isolation, but locked arms with the saints of God. The gathered worship of the church is not just a formative event, but a true experience and participation of the life of the triune God. And next we move into the praises. We then rejoice with songs and prayers of praise, declaring his worth and seeking his presence. We are called in to worship God. We see our sin, we confess it, we are assured by the good news of the forgiveness in Jesus. We're renewed and equipped by hearing the word. And then we remember Christ's sacrifice together. And then we respond. And this message is not primarily about singing, but it certainly includes it. 
You see, each element of the liturgy flows into the next. And this, this is my great hope for us this morning that, and really for every Sunday, that we would gather to worship together and would be so caught up in Jesus and his love for us that our response in song would be filled with joy and thanksgiving. Oh, that the love of God made a reality for us through Jesus Christ would embody us physically and spiritually and we would be so moved into our sung response. Because God has sought true worshipers and through Jesus has made us his family. He is our father. We are sons and daughters of the God of the universe. And we don't have the ability to gather and, or worship together, let alone sing, because we happen to walk a really holy walk this week or because of how quickly we repented or really because of anything that we've done. We're not brought near to the presence of God by the songs. We're not brought by our words. We're brought near by the blood of Jesus. And so our song is, is the result of all that we've been given, not the cause. And as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Brothers and sisters, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance and sing loud, Oh, the kindness of our Lord, that the songs we sing that remind us of the gospel, the, the songs that express joy, sorrow, lament, the, the songs that are just straight up praises to God for who he is. These songs that are life-giving to us as we sing and hear one another sing, he counts as worship. Even when we're trying to give to him, he is giving to us. As we serve him, it is always because he has first served us. He first sung over us. Oh, that each of us would experience the, the incredible paradox of being so united with the saints in song that it's like you're alone in the presence of God, the body of Christ lifting her voice in praise. That you would be free to not worry about what your neighbor is thinking or looking at and express yourself in worship. Billy's gonna wrap up this series next week with the last of our core values on community. And so I'm today not gonna go on a rant about community groups. I'll let him, I'll save that for him. Uh, but can you begin to see why we hold gathered worship so dear? This gathering is is his gift to shape us for the life that he's put us in. And finally, we worship with our finances and send one another out once more to scatter on mission to our region, the offering and the sending. You hear us say this week after week, we continue in our worship through giving. We say together, God, all we have is yours, but we are stewards of your gifts. We, we could give you all the practical things that are helped out with by giving, and we're transparent about all those things as a church. But ultimately, our giving is, is meant to echo John the Baptist's words in John 3.27 when he says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. And so we give and worship and then we're sent out to be on mission for Christ's kingdom.
So let's, let's now look at worship scattered and look back at verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You see, in, previous, in the previous verses, this woman and Jesus are having this back and forth about who worships when and where and how, and, and it's a misdirect from the real conversation. But nonetheless, Jesus is, is gracious and he's engaging with her and he says, look, the time is coming, the moment's gonna be here, and, and actually it starts now that none of that's gonna matter because Jesus knew what she didn't. He knew that the Holy Spirit was coming soon because of the price that he would pay. In the culture of that time, you could dispute who the true worshipers were based on Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. That was the argument. But Jesus is saying that that part of the argument is no longer relevant. Because as it's been said, the true worshipers cannot be identified by their attachment to a particular shrine, but by their worship of the Father in spirit and truth. Jesus knew that one day people would worship God right where they are because God would no longer relegate his presence to one location, but in the hearts and souls of his people. And that's the day that we live in. This is a call to worship every day and every place. This is a call to enact upon the very thing that we are designed for, worshiping and glorifying God in all we do. And so this is how we've defined worship scattered. Intentionally celebrating the creative work that God is doing in our region. So if you're around me and we're hanging out for more than an hour, you'll likely see me look around like I'm lost, and then I'll pick up something that looks like this, and I'll take my glasses off and clean them off because I cannot stand even the slightest smudge. I can't not notice it. It's just there, and I'm like, I got I to gotta find a lens cloth or a microfiber. Um, very recently, our, our dear friend Jen was here for a visit, and we're sitting at Town Tavern over a meal, and Jen never cleans her glasses, ever. Uh, we're sitting and laughing and having a good time, and finally Billy just breaks down and says, may I please clean your glasses? And she says with a smile, sure. And he cleans them, and she puts them back on, and she goes, oh, much better. Friends, this is what gathered worship does for us, because we... It's easy to hear the, the enemy say, well, yeah, I can worship anywhere. That doesn't mean that church is anywhere. Gathered worship enables us to see clearly the beauty and grandeur of God and, and who he is, and it illuminates the world around us as his creation. Because you may walk in experiencing the darkness of the week, seeing the current events, watching the news, scrolling on a feed and think it's doomsday. And then you're brought in here and, and, and it says his glory fills the earth and you feel that. And then you walk back out there and you're like, does it fill the earth? That's why we gather because it puts our eyes on the beauty in his creation. Romans chapter one, verse 20 says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. So we're sent out and the, the mundane becomes magnificent. The boring becomes beautiful. Dull and dreary begun to, begin to take on a form of delight because the dead winter trees are soon gonna spring to life again 
reminding us of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Worry turns into holy wonder at what God is gonna redeem next. The murals downtown in Morganton are no longer just, it's not some cool painting that some guy did or some lady did. It's, it's something that we're able to see the beauty in that art as a reflection of an image-bearing soul. And maybe they don't know Christ, but God's love and ownership of all things beautiful is put on display nonetheless. Everything beautiful is grace. Meals become feasts of celebration. Food moving from mere nourishment to a joyous celebration of taste. Our work, our jobs, they take off the shackles of a mere need for a paycheck and turn into a gratitude-filled expression of working unto the Lord because we don't need our jobs to identify us anymore because Jesus did the most important work in all of history. It's done. It's finished. You're bought and sealed. And you begin to see everything in all of creation testifying and pointing to the glory of God. This is how... Cody and I, or Billy and I, just a couple of normal dudes can be in the gorge feeling small next to glorious mountains and it turns hiking into worship. You see, everything good and true and beautiful is from and belongs to God. Every good gift he gives is meant to stir our hearts like a drop of honey on the tongue that leaves you wanting more. So is the beauty that is all around us. And suddenly every moment, everything, every moment of every day, every task takes on the form of worship. And we realize, yes, all of life is worship. And that means that I am either worshiping God or the world. If it's the world, ultimately, we find out and we peel it all back, we're worshiping ourselves. My kingdom come, my will be done. Oh, that we would clean the grime off of our spiritual glasses and see the gifts of God. The O'Keefe's had us over for dinner Friday evening. I feel like I'm spoiling like a, a, a restaurant that can't handle large capacities, but it was the best steak I've ever had. Um, as the ladies visited and we're chatting together, Dustin and I are sitting on the couch and we're talking about music, food, art, you know, lives growing up, theology, and just the overwhelming grace of God. And I looked at him and it just in a moment realized, I said, this is worship. It's, it's not church, <laughs> though we are a part of the body, but it is worship. You see, worship scattered happens when God's people enjoy his gifts as gifts yet magnify, praise, and exalt the giver above any other gift. And so when God's people are embodied with the knowledge that every gift is just a sign pointing to his glory, it changes the way we see things. We remember the goodness of God. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. We must not cease to wonder at the great marvels of our God. It would be very difficult to draw a line between holy wonder and real worship. For when the soul is overwhelmed with the majesty of God's glory, though it may not express itself in song or even utter its voice with bowed head and humble prayer, yet it silently adores. Our incarnate God is to be worshiped as the wonderful, that God should consider his fallen creature man and should himself undertake to be man's redeemer and to pay his ransom price is indeed marvelous. And so as we close today, my hope, our hope is that these values would truly embody us as a church family, that we would look for ways to glorify God in everything we do, that we would eat, drink, play, create, love, and work, recognizing that in Christ, all is worship.
our role is merely to remember God. Andrew Wilson, I like this guy. Uh, he wrote this incredible book called The God of All Things. And in each of the 30 chapters in the book, he recounts something in creation that we wouldn't normally think of as, as pointing to God's glory. And so he, he shows how they do. He has a chapter on, uh, my favorite chapter is the one on pigs because um, he talks about bacon. But he, he also talks about just all, so many things that you wouldn't think of like the wind and earthquakes. And he shows us how they point to God's glory. At the end, he has an epilogue and he writes this. And this is our hope. I'm gonna try to make it through this without sobbing. We'll see how it goes. The day is coming when the signposts will not be needed because the reality is here. We will know fully, even as we are fully known. And on that day, the day for which Paul tells us earlier in this letter, creation itself is groaning in the pains of childbirth. The things of God will stop pointing and start praising the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and now the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. The stones will cry out. The things of God will sing to the King of kings and the God of things, for whom and through whom and to whom they exist. So will we. Four questions for application. Number one, how can we intentionally reflect on and recognize the presence of God in our daily lives, finding moments throughout each day to offer gratitude and devotion? Number two, how does our perspective on worshiping, how does our perspective on worship guide us in responding to challenging or difficult moments in life? How can worship become a source of strength and guidance during tough times? Three, in what ways can our daily worship impact the way we interact with others? How can our lives echo God's glory in our relationships, demonstrating love, kindness, and compassion? And four, how can we share our worship experiences with others, creating a sense of community and encouraging one another? Throw all four uh, up on the screen as well. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I thank you for the gift of creation. I thank you for the gift of beauty. I thank you for the gift of worship. I thank you that songs get to be counted as part of it. That music is, is not just an ancillary part of worship, but that you delight in it. You created it. God, I ask in these next moments as we sing that our response would be filled with joy. God, that you would soften our hearts that maybe today would be just a, a turn of direction for some in their hearts. God, that we would realize more and more of your beauty all around us and that we wouldn't be able to, we wouldn't be able to contain but our songs. We wouldn't be able to contain our gratitude. That we would feel the freedom to see the beauty of a sunset and think about you. and not feel like it's cheesy, <laughs> but just a sign of your goodness. Thank you for the ways that you have cultivated beauty in, in and around us that you didn't have to do. You just did it because you're good and you love us.
Thank you most of all for entering in through Jesus, pursuing us and making us your worshipers. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. For more information on the life of our church, you can visit missionchurchnc.com. You can also find us on social media at Mission Church Morganton. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.